If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today's guest at Horse Chats is all the way from Ireland, Brendan Virgin. Brendan, how are you today? Very well, thanks. Good. Brendan, I'm introducing you as a professional riding instructor. So you're a qualified riding instructor, but your love is to solve problem horses or horses with problems. When people come to you with problems, you love to get to the nitty-gritty and work out the problems. Is that correct? That's right. Um, I suppose what I find is it's usually a partnership problem. It's not just a horse problem or a rider problem. I love sort of getting down to the very bottom of that and seeing what we can do to help them and move the partnership forward. Yep, yep, good, good. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But first of all, Brendan, have you got a favourite quote that you'd like to give us? Um, Yeah, um, mine is from Confucius, and it's, our greatest glory is not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. Um, I suppose that's especially important for me because as you go through an equestrian career, there's a lot of both physical falls and emotional falls. And yes. especially if you're trying to run a business in a small country like here, um, where people are that bit more closed-minded and the market is a lot smaller, it's, it's hard to keep going forward, especially if you're hitting brick walls. Yeah, yeah. Just keep getting up again. Well, that's it. It's interesting. I, I just read that somewhere online. Before I was talking to you, I was reading, I just can't quite go back to it now, but, yeah, that's a good quote. And amazing how the older quotes keep repeating themselves, you know, like they're, they're, it's an old quote but a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Now, Brendan, I know that you've been interested in horses since before you could walk or talk. Tell us, though, you know, coming from a non-horsey family, tell us about one of your early memories with horses. It might have been the first time you rode, the first time you saw a horse, the first time. I don't know. You tell me. Okay. Um, so the only person in my family who was interested in horses is my aunt, and she had a horse, and she used to mind me a lot because my parents worked. Yep. Um, and she used to bring me up to her horse, and my earliest memory is, and there's a photo of it as well, so it just keeps jogging it back in my mind, is um, I'm there in my bib and my wellies and I'm stirring something in a bucket. And um, I remember my aunt trying to take the wooden spoon back from me and I didn't want to give back the wooden spoon because I wanted to go in with the bucket and the wooden spoon to the horse. I suppose that's my 
very, very first memory. And I think I'm like two or three. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Um, that's my earliest memory of connecting with a horse. That's a good one. And, the, you know, the little two-year-old, I can imagine, just not wanting to mm. take it back, not realising that. You know, the, the horses should eat it with a spoon. I think it was my <laughs> thinking of the whole thing. Yeah. But um, and that horse was a horse that um, I learned a lot, like just about being around horses. And she was one of those. She was an Arab um, Connemara cross, and um, she was very tolerant of me and my little small person mannerisms. Like I used to do dreadful things, like run underneath her, and she would just stand solid as a rock. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, nice horse. Yeah, sounds like a yeah. nice horse. Yeah. From that and, and having a career with horses, was it just a logical step-by-step step or was it a particular event that made you want to work with horses? I suppose my, my original plan was that I wanted to be a vet, but mm-hmm. um, I didn't actually get the points to become a vet because over here we have a point system for getting into college and yep. it was yep. actually probably the best thing that happened because I was much, I'm much more suited to this okay. job and career than I uh, would have been to a veterinary career. So I, um, I always wanted to have a horse and be involved in horses. And it just, when I didn't get into veterinary, it was just a logical progression into um, becoming a riding instructor. I did a degree in equine science, well, animal science equine. Um, but before I'd done that, I'd done my first level of um, coaching qualification mm-hmm. and was sort of teaching part-time in a local riding school and doing my degree and riding a few horses and <laughs> traveling as much as I could in the summers to learn from different people. So it was a logical progression, but it was one where I could have gotten very stuck in a box. Yep. Um, and I worked hard to try and not be stuck in a box, mm-hmm. despite everyone over here thinking I was nuts going, traveling off to, to, you know, I went to England and I went to Australia and I went to Denmark um, to people who I maybe only met on the phone or whatever. So yes. that was um, an interesting adventure. And that's good that you just kept going, kept learning and, and obviously still are keeping learning. Yeah. To start, what do you think are the core skills or character traits that, someone needs to start commence in the horse industry is that that you know mind that inquisitive mind always wanting to be learning um i think there's a couple of things i think the, the first thing you have to have is you have to have the ability to tough it through because it's not an easy industry it's not well paid and you you have to absolutely love it so I think the first thing you have to have is that staying power to stick with it even when the going gets tough. Yep. Um, and then the other thing is uh, a real genuine love of the horse mm-hmm. um, because there's lots of people who get involved in the equine industry and they think they love horses, but they don't love horses. They love the idea of power over yep. something. Yep. And I think if you have that, I think... You don't do right by the animal. And then the final thing is to always be striving to improve the welfare of the horses. I suppose that's something that I learned from Andrew McLean was, you know, the best way to improve um, the welfare of horses is to understand them and understand how they learn. Yep. Um, because you hear, like, 
certainly over here, if you stand and you watch 20 people teaching, I guarantee you'll hear from at least 50% of them if the horse stops or refuses the fence to, to give the horse a belt. Whereas, you know, it doesn't work. Mm. Um, because they all they always invariably end up smacking the horse as the horse is moving away from the fence, yes, which just yes. makes the fence a scarier thing. Yep. Um, so I suppose that's really important is to always be thinking as much as possible from the horse's point of view. Because our clients in riding schools don't have the knowledge to see what a welfare issue is. Mm-hmm. So like when, when I, I teach a lot of kids and from the very start they learn the idea of releasing pressure. Um, and that our goal is to always be releasing pressure. And I think that's something that's not really understood. You know, a lot of people think that to make a horse stop, the horse will stop if you just keep pulling on the reins. But it's the horse learns to stop from the release of pressure. Yeah, and I think Andrew, like the best now thing I ever heard from Andrew was, um, it was I think it was my third day in Australia, mm. and there was a party on. And Andrew sat down with me at this party and explained to you what negative reinforcement was. And I thought I knew what negative reinforcement meant. Yes. Um, and he said, um, if you sit on a pin, why do you stand up? And I said, as everyone does, because it hurts. But it's not that. <laughs> you stand up because it stops hurting when you do. Mm. And it was then I had a light bulb moment and got the idea of what negative reinforcement meant. Um, wasn't able to do it for a long time and get the timing right but I got the idea of what I was trying to do and I think that's as a riding instructor as a coach that's one of our biggest responsibilities is to make sure people understand Um, it's not that they have to achieve jumping events it's they have to understand the principles behind training the horse to go over the fence or whatever it happens to be that you're training yep Andrews obviously and Jonna have um you know, I mean, they've both been past guests on horse chats. They're, they're obviously yeah. influenced you quite a lot. Anyone else that you think has influenced you more than them or they're the main influences? I suppose I suppose in recent times it's been Andrew and Janet um, in terms of opening my eyes to learning theory and they, they totally changed what, what I was thinking. Like when I went to work for Jana, um, I thought I was going to a natural horsemanship person. So I was coming from that perspective that I was trying to find a better way and I thought I was going to natural horsemanship. So I got into the car with Jonna's then wife, Carolyn, and I told her what I thought I was going to and she was like, no, it's not <laughs> that. We're, we're into learning theory. And she started explaining and I went, oh my God, I think I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> um, and, but I was there and I learned so much. But um there's a few people like every time I've chosen a place to go, I've chosen someone who has a record of some um, of, of some kind. So the first place I, I worked was Brandonstown Riding School and I worked there for a long time on and off. So Jane Kennedy um, has been running that yard for nearly 40 years um, and she's a real tough lady, but she really knows her horses and she knows how to produce the goods. And her daughter and her son are heavily involved in the riding school and have kind of are take, have sort of taken over the yard, but she's still there in the background. So she's been a huge influence. Um, I went to England and worked for Rob Lovett and Tim Downs, who are both fellows of the BHS. And again, when I went there, I knew nothing. And my eyes opened for the first time. 
And then most recently, the person, two people who've helped me the most are um, a lady called Carol Broad, who helped me get um, my BHSI qualification, which is, um, I think, analogous to your international level three qualification over there. Yep. yep. Um, and she was just, I'm a very high energy person. And she, I suppose, taught me to drop my energy and look at what's in front of me. And that really changed the way I was thinking. And the other person is um, William Micklum, who I trained a bit with coming up to my eye and have had sort of, I suppose, a relationship, a professional relationship with on and off for quite some time. And he's like, I find um, some of his quotations brilliant. Like one that just comes to mind is um, to stand on the shoulders of giants. Yes. Um, and I suppose I am, I spend, spend my time trying to find a giant whose shoulders I can stand on because if you go to the best, you have a chance of getting better. Whereas if you go to someone who isn't, isn't the best, they might help you, but they don't have, certainly for me, they don't have what I'm looking for Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a coach. Yep. Yep. So I suppose... I know that's a lot of people, but there's there's been so many people over the years, and I'm sure when people listen to this who know me, they'll go, well, why wasn't my name mentioned? But there's just so many. Um, everyone I've sort of met with horses has helped me along that roadmap. Yep, yep, yep. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. I forgot to ask you the best thing about working in the horse industry. I suppose the best thing I find now, like we bought our yard in 2013 and last year we had our first foal of our that we had bred, and this year we had two more. Mm. I suppose the best thing is looking at um, our young stock and thinking about what they're going to be in the future. And I suppose to a certain extent, it doesn't matter really. Like we um, we rescued um, a mare and foal three years ago from the pound, yep. and. Um, DNA tested them and found out that they were actually super bred. So the now three-year-old Colt um, is going to be starting into work soon and he just looks like he could be something really special. And it's lovely to feel that we brought him from, I think he was six months when he came. We brought him from six months to three-year-old and it's just really special to work with them from the very start. Yeah. Um, and I have no idea what the future is going to hold for these young horses, 
but we really hope that they might end up in either show jumping circuit or the eventing circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I might ride them or my wife might ride them. I don't know, but it's that um, excitement of the future is, I suppose, is the best thing about yeah. working in the industry yeah. um, and helping people. Like, um, I have, um, I teach a lot of clients with the likes of autism. Yes. And I have one client who I won't name. She's a child client and uh, she's, She's verbal, but she um, she has a huge difficulty in in communicating with others. Mm-hmm. And she was in another riding centre where she was just basically led around. And we've come now to the point where she understands that the ho- how to make the horse go slower and go faster, and recognise when the horse is going too slow or too fast. I suppose those clients are the ones that are the my favorites to teach because it's so pure it's you know she she's one of my biggest achievements do you know what I mean yes. and she's not a, a Grand Puba um, competition rider so yeah that's all I was going to say is that your proudest moment my proudest moment mm. I suppose I suppose so far my proudest moment was achieving the the BHSI yep um, because it's such um, a rigorous exam, and I've, I've actually failed um, every part of it a good few times. But every time I've, I suppose, to go back to my quote, every time I've fallen, I've gotten up with a new realisation of where I'm at yep. and where I need to go. Yep. And I suppose I really feel like now that I have it, that each time I've passed each section, I've actually really deserved it and I feel I'm really there. Yes. Whereas if any of the times I'd failed, I'd passed, I wouldn't be the coach that I am now. Yep. So I suppose that's one of my proudest moments at the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of hoping that there might be more proud moments to come, but so far I think that's my proudest <laughs> moment. That's good. Now I'm thinking about a horse who's influenced you, but it sounds like the foals are the ones that you're, you're really keen on, the colt that you've got. Yeah, I'm really keen on him. Like, I think he's going to be really special. But the horse, the horses that have in, horse that's influenced me the most is I have an eight-year-old mare who was the first horse I ever bought. I was 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, was it 22? Yeah, I think it was 22. Um, eight rising nine-year-old mare. And I bought her as a young horse. And I, she's the, um, she's the roadmap of my errors and my successes. So um, she is, she's straightforward in some ways and she's difficult in others in that she has a huge problem with becoming tense. So she was in a way completely the wrong purchase for a a high energy person like me, but she's taught me to lower my energy and to soften what I'm doing. Yes. Because when I like, it's like when I started with learning theory and negative reinforcement, I was very rough with the whole negative reinforcement thing. And I thought, oh, you know, you're with the taps and stuff. You know, that's how we we get somewhere. Whereas she's a horse where I had to use really, really light pressure. Otherwise, it just blew the head head off her. Mm-hmm. So she's influenced me a lot in understanding. Um, that every horse is individual, even if we're applying um, a systematic approach, uh, every horse is individual and we've got to really read what the horse is giving you 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's a big thing. Coming up to, you know, you said that you'd achieved your, your BHSI, what do you think was the biggest thing that you learned in that process? To be humble. When I was younger, I was very gung-ho. I was very, um, like when I got my first teaching qualification, I thought I knew everything, you know? I think a lot of people do when they get their first teaching qualification. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden they're a qualified instructor and they, they think they're re- out there ready to train Grand Prix and, and ready to take on the world's problems. But um, yeah. you're right. Please keep going. Yeah, so when I got my first teaching qualification, I went in and I started teaching my lessons. I started going, right, we're going to do high-level movements, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, we're going to do the other. And uh, it was utter madness. I now find that if you look at all the top trainers, like I, I think of William Micklem, I think of Carol Broad, I think of Andrew, I think of Jana, where they um, sort of meet the horse is in the basic responses in the simple stuff. And I suppose I've started in the past, I suppose two or three years in the process of getting my PHSI, I started to realize that that's where the training is at. You know, if you're building a house, you build from the bottom and work upwards. So like, um, I suppose that was the biggest thing I learned was to slow down and look. Mm -hmm. And I suppose I thought I was doing that, but then I actually wasn't. And as a coach, the really good coaches are the ones who are sitting quietly on the side saying very little. And what they're saying is super useful. So I'm, I try to now, um, particularly with my one-on-one clients, it's much more difficult in groups, to ask questions and see what the client is bringing to the table rather than bringing what I think needs to come to the table. Because what's amazing is the more I teach, the more I learn, even from people who maybe aren't as experienced as I am, but by asking them questions and seeing what they feel, I understand better. Mm. And I suppose this jumps me back to, um, I'm not a natural rider. I'm I'm a produced rider. I'm a rider that it hasn't come naturally to me. I've had to really learn everything. So I think it makes me a better coach and I suppose I'm always figuring out things that would just come naturally to like I used to work when I used to work in Brownstown for um, Jane Kennedy and her daughter Louise Bloomer. Louise is a real natural rider. It comes to her naturally and I could see her frustration when she used to teach me that I wasn't getting it. And then when eventually broke through to me, I understood what she was saying, but it took a long time to be produced um, in that way. Mm. Mm. Um, I suppose I find because I've had to tough through those difficult times where I didn't get it, um, I, I feel I'm of help to people when they don't get it. Yep, yep. I understand that. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're not the first person. I think it's just generally understood that, if you do take your time, if, if you are having problems on the way to achieve something, you are going to become a better coach or a better teacher. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest problem, the biggest misunderstanding, I suppose, with people and their horses? You know, thinking about the horses come to you, you've already said it's a, a partnership problem, but just go a little bit deeper with that. I suppose 
So when I think about it, um, every problem that arises is nearly always um, a problem uh, with communication. Um, and I think the biggest problem we have is that people are too stuck with an idea. So like, say, if you take, for example, Traver, if someone's having a problem with Traver, it comes down to usually they're overcooking the leg aid or they're too stiff in their hand and not letting the horse move forward. So what I try to do is, I, again, I come back to Andrew's idea of breaking things down into simple bites and chunks. And William Mickham says the same thing. Like one of his, again, quotes is simplicity, love laced with buckets of enthusiasm. So if you break things down simpler to, is it a turning problem? Is it a speed problem? There's nearly nothing that can't be solved. So I think back to my mare, who's difficult, and she doesn't like, she's really good shoulder in, she's really good half-pass, but she doesn't like Traver along the fence. So um, I, I've seen that a lot of times, that horses will half-pass, horses will shoulder in, but Traver is a big problem. And it's nearly always because there's too much angle and the rider's too focused on putting the outside leg back. When I travel my mare down the long side, now my I hardly move my leg because that's what works for her. She needs that communication. Yep. And so, and then the other thing is that every horse, like every rider, has a sidedness. So she, for example, works really well on the right rein and doesn't like to turn left as much as she likes to turn right. So when you realize whether the horse has a sidedness or the rider has a sidedness, you can really help a lot. Um, because, you know, we're all like strong with our left hand or our right hand or whatever. And the horses are strong in their left four-leg diagonal pair or their right four-leg diagonal pair. So once you can figure that out and get the rider to communicate effectively with the horse, a lot of the problems sort of disappear with simplicity and clarity. I think. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Brendan, have you got a book that you could recommend to our listeners just to complement what they've learned with you and uh, just to generally complement their training? Okay. I've got a... I suppose I'm, a, I'm a, a science nerd in a way. So I love the, I enjoyed academic horse training when Andrew, um, that, and that was out and about. But the book I like even better is um, Equitation Science yes. by Andrew McLean and Paul McGreevy. Yep. And I suppose I like that because I'm really interested in the, the deep down knowledge of it all. And uh I, it's not a book for everyone because, it, you know, it is quite sciencey. but I really, really enjoy that. And then on the um, the other end of the scale, I read a really good book by a lady called Jenny Rolfe, and it's called um, Whole Heart, Whole Horse. Mm -hmm. And it's, 
sorry, I'm going to be giving you three books. Um, whole Heart, Whole Horse. And it's all, it's, it's all about um, how we have to have a deeper connection with our breathing. And uh, I really enjoyed that. And it really, again, after working with Jana and Andrew, it softened my approach and give me, gave me back a little bit of fluffiness, which I think we all sort of need in our horse training. Yes. Um, and then the last book um, that I really like is um, there's a, an American horseman called Mark Rashid, and he has a book called, um, was that, maybe that one was Whole Heart, Whole Horse. Yeah, that was Whole Heart, Whole Horse. Um, and it's about how he tells a load of stories about how he overcame problems. I can't remember the name of Jenny Ross' book. Sorry, I'm, <laughs> I know I'm babbling, but... That's okay. What I'll get you to do is, as soon as you've got it, you can email it to us and people can find that on uh, horsechats.com yeah. slash Brendan yeah. Virgin and, um, or else just go to horsechats.com, do a search for Brendan and I'll find that. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. Because I, I, like, I have a full library books and I find... I find I get drawn to a book and I'll start reading it. Yeah. Um, and I'm start and I'm, I'm starting on to a new thing. Um, Mark Rashid recommends Aikido for horse riders to mm -hmm. blend with their horse. Yes. And I, tomorrow I'm starting my first Aikido class to see if it can help my horsemanship and help with my harmony with the horses. Okay, good. Good. And I like the way that you you know, you're always out there doing something where I was going to ask you what you're looking forward to. I thought you were going to tell me, you, you know, your young horse, um, but a, a keto class, anything else? Well, um, I suppose things that I do for, for my riding are um, I'm doing this Aikido thing. Yep. Um, I started back into swimming mm -hmm. um, to improve my coordination. And I just think, I actually just think swimming is really great for riders because the weightlessness, the stretching of your body, because what we do in the equine industry is we spend a lot of time compressing ourselves and twisting ourselves and doing all sorts of things to ourselves. Um, but it's great to do that. Um, and I, was, I actually am really looking forward to my young horse starting. And lots of people think, oh, he's a three-year-old, you should start him. But I stand there looking at him in the field and I look at him and there's just something about him that he's sort of saying, yeah, I'm not ready yet. So like yeah. I'm doing groundwork with him. I'm doing little bits of lunging. I'm doing all that stuff. He comes in, he gets fed, and all that kind of thing. But he's just not. And, he, and I backed him already. Like I've I've sat on him and stuff. But he's just he's not ready yet. Mm -hmm. There's just something about him that says I'm not ready for you yet. Okay. If you could summarise your philosophy into a lesson, you know, something a message that um, listeners can take away with. What would you say? Okay. Um, take time. Keep it simple and open your eyes and look. I think those are the, the, the most important things. And actually, if I could change that, spend time. Don't take time. Spend time. Um, because lots of us will um, waste time doing stuff with horses, but you have to spend time doing the right things. Yeah. So I suppose that's, I suppose that's the, one of the key lessons, I think, is, yeah. Time, simplicity, yeah, and looking, and yeah. I suppose that's that's the, one of the most important things, and I think that's the most important lesson that it took me. Like I'm now 30, um, and it wasn't until I was about 29 
until I sort of realized those sort of things. And I kind of wish I'd learned them earlier. Mm. But when you're young, younger and you, you know, you're gung ho, you don't think of those things. They're not important. Yeah. Yeah. Brendan, what's the best way for people to contact you? Um, email is probably the best way to get in touch with me because, um, if you ring me, um, I generally am up to my eyes teaching. So if you email info at bergenequine.com, and then we also have a website, bergenequine.com, which has inf- lots of information on it um, about what we do and how we do it. Good, good. Those details will be on horsechats.com slash Brendan Burgeon or go to horsechats.com, search for Brendan as well. Brendan, I'm really looking forward to talking to you again. I think you've got you know a lot of knowledge there, a lot of ideas, and uh, yeah, I'd love to have you back. That's okay with you. That'd be great. Thank, thanks so much for having me. It's That's been a okay. pleasure. No worries. Talk to you soon then, Brendan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 